0: Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Dave Moore, part of BMO's London-based fixed income sales team. This week's episode is titled, Not Convinced on Cuts. I'm Ben Reitzes, and you're listening to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading team to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep the show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.rights at bmo.com. That's benjaminr at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. Dave, it's been many, many months since I've had you on the show, much to my chagrin, but uh, I'm happy to have you back now as we head into the uh, the summer here, the, the depths of summer. So welcome. And and uh, this will actually be the last show until either late August or early September. Uh, so you're, a, you're an honored guest.
1: Well, thanks for having me. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to live up to being the last show before the summer break, but I'll give it my best.
0: I'm not worried. That's why I love having you on. So... We've had a, a an interesting few weeks here. Uh, we had the the Bank of Canada's twenty five basis point rate hike last week. The Fed is on deck next week with a, with a twenty five b hike expected from them. Uh, we've had a number of inflation prints over the past couple of weeks, tended to be softer, but uh, we'll, we'll get to all that. Let Let's start with the Bank of Canada though. What's the client base in London? thinking on, on Canada at the moment, because I know that that comes and fits and starts when they pay attention to Canada and, and start ignoring it. But uh, given how interesting the Bank of Canada has been for the past while, I assume there are plenty of thoughts uh, on that side of the pond.
1: Absolutely. You're going to get a lot of uh, attention when you move 475 basis points over a, a, year and a year and a half. I think the the main questions come around how strong is the economic backdrop to actually withstand the moves that the bank have done? How exposed is housing relative to these new base rates? And then how much of demand do we see coming in from new immigration? Uh, and how much of a tailwind will that actually be? And I think for the most part, uh, the conversations are centered around those three main things. And I I think it's right. I think that when we look at Canada as, you know, folks not living and breathing it in in Canada, we get these little snippets. And the snippets tend to be housing is overheated, prices are ridiculous, there's going to be mass defaults. The snippets are immigration is real, but was it really just because of COVID and not being able to process the, the sheer number of people wanting to get into Canada? And then the economic backdrop is obviously front and center, particularly around CPI um, and the general strength of the consumer. But when we sit down and talk to the client base here, I certainly get a much more optimistic feel and view about Canada than, say, about a year ago. I think we're starting to understand the immigration story a little bit better. Uh, Last year was a million uh, new immigrants into Canada, we kind of run rate looking forward is going to be 500,000 a year into Canada. And these are people who don't necessarily have to live in the major, uh, like metropolitan areas, right, you can live a little bit further outside of the cities now. And with a bit more work uh, from home flexibility, uh, you don't necessarily have to be paying for, you know, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver prices, uh, in like the main city core, Uh, and you can still commute in a couple of days a week. And it it does change the landscape quite a lot for the new new entrant into Canada. Having been one myself in the past, it's certainly uh, a fairly large bar to get over. Uh, And so I think that the economic tailwinds that come from new people with money, you know, they're not new families in terms of being children being raised. This is a new subset of people that will both be a demand driver of of goods and services but i think that there will also be a, a fairly decent lag in terms of how quickly the cities can facilitate and, and get you know up to speed for that new number of people in there so wouldn't be surprised to see um you know maybe more debt being being put out by the the provinces and the cities uh, to fund broader infrastructure uh, programs And so, yeah, so when we talk to our clients, that's really the the feeling that they're coming away with. It's not one of of apprehension or hesitancy as it had been in the past. I think the mortgage story and housing story is getting a little bit better understood. And now that Canada's went from a right to buy market to a privilege to buy market in particular, like the, the major cities, I think most people are quite comfortable with that model be it, you know, in Manhattan or, or London here or, or Hong Kong, Tokyo, pick your major city. Most people don't expect that they can buy their property. So I think that that was a bit of an adjustment and it's going to have a generational impact. There will be a portion of the general public who get hurt the most in that transition. But it does feel like a lot of that has now went through the one main concern around housing, that the clients, I face a number of questions on a fairly regular basis. Uh, is around the floating rate mortgages, how many are fixed, how many are floating, uh, when they reset, what's the exposure, when they reset, that kind of stuff. And I think that that's just not a CAD phenomenon. Like that's a global phenomenon that we just now have to attend to and we just have to get a bit more, uh, just, I guess, more comfortable with the fact that your monthly costs, if you, if you own a property um, at new rates can be, up to two times more, maybe two, two and a half times more, depending on where you're fixing your mortgages, and so uh, that's not just a CAD issue that we're going to be facing, and certainly one that's coming down uh, the pipeline very, very soon. Uh, but it is uh, that really is the kind of the main concern-ish topic that that we face uh, when having conversations with the clients here.
0: Okay, interesting that you you note that it's a good point that it's a global phenomenon that homeowners, mortgagers will uh face higher rates and if you have a mortgage it doesn't matter where you are pretty much every jurisdiction in the world except for except for maybe Japan and probably even there as well is going to face higher payments uh, over the next foreseeable future i'm not even going to put a timeline on that cuz i do expect rates to stay relatively high and and a return to that to the past 10 years doesn't doesn't look all that likely and so it's not just a canadian story even though that is a big focus here it is going to drag a little bit on most countries i think the, the us maybe the one exception there, since uh, you got thirty year mortgages and 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 that uh, locks people in for a long time. It does it does dampen housing activity generally, but uh you once you're locked into that 30-year mortgage, uh, you're you're stuck with that rate. Uh, unless you can get a better one later and, and when rates back up, you're just no worse off. But that, I mean that's the, the the narrative there is is I mean, largely similar. I think there's still a lot of concern here about the lagged effect of of rate hikes and be it on on Households with a mortgage, or or other aspects of the economy, other parts of things, and and when that will weigh. And this, I mean, it's the same same stories in the U.S. and uh, everybody wondering when things do eventually roll over. And I mean, the longer we go here, the more it looks like we may get that kind of uh, Goldilocks scenario: soft landing, slowing inflation. I mean that that's that's been the story over the past week or so. Uh, we've had. A softer U.S. inflation print. Now you have had a softer Canadian inflation print, uh, softer UK inflation print, and it looks as though things are at least headed in the right direction for now. Whether that is just a cyclical move down in inflation, only time will tell there. But that that's what central banks want to see. That's the direction things need to go in. Uh, and and I think the Bank Canada, for one, will be at least somewhat heartened by the by the direction of inflation. At least headline coming down nicely was helpful. And and I do expect. Uh, and, and if you read my, my my piece earlier this week on Tuesday, I, I, I do expect that next month's inflation numbers so the July inflation rating that we'll get in, in mid-August, I think the core metrics there are going to improve a lot and and unless the core measures themselves are pretty hot on a month over month basis, the core measures let if let's say they come in at point at, at two. Uh, that would bring the three-month annualized rates for the trim and the median down to three percent, and and that is that's a long way down. I mean, we're we're one of them's at four now, the other ones at three point six, and so coming down to three would would really be encouraging for the Bank Canada and and set up a pause for them in September pretty nicely, and and that that that's our call right now. I, I, don't, I don't think that's going to change. Again, you mentioned they've done done a lot in the past 18 months. Again, 475 basis points is a ton. And there's clearly more more lagged effect there to come. So patience is important here. And that is something I think that they will exercise now after after pausing Uh, once before. I think they they pause again. But there will be a key difference this time. And and that's going to be that they at least keep the door open for more moves. They they don't want to see the rate market rally and bring mortgage rates lower. And and then re-spark another rally in housing. Uh, you already have home prices starting to move higher, and you mentioned the immigration story. How impactful that is 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 really difficult to tell on its own. But it, it's it it's pretty clear that there's this underlying bid for housing, and if that's there, then there's probably an underlying uh, strength in demand for for all or many goods and, and services from from the strength and in, uh, in, in population growth. Uh, and, and that's probably not going away. And so the bank can't really ignore that, I don't think. And uh, important, I guess, overall, just to, to, to keep that in mind generally uh, when assessing how the economy is performing and, and uh, whether rates should go higher still or not. I want to talk a minute about the UK inflation print this morning because you're you're over there, so uh, mm. you, you experience this on a day to day basis. Uh, food prices still up like seventeen percent, and inflation still not not in the double digits anymore, but in the high singles. Uh, I mean, how are things looking over there? Is 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 the Bank of England still going to be aggressive here? Are they going to start backing off a little bit? I mean, are the softening global inflation prints uh, the precursor for central banks to start backing off as we make our way? I guess, into the fall and and winter runs?
1: Inflation, at least from how I look at it, for the last little bit, hasn't been driven by demand, right? It's been a supply-driven story. Um, started, obviously, in commodities, and then it goes into producers, where if you believe or you think inflation is going to come, you don't wait for it to come before you adjust your prices. You adjust your prices first, and then it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. So these prints that we're seeing, obviously, they're they're good for for the consumer. They're good for people if we have inflation coming down. But I don't think for a second that print makes people feel better off. You know, we we're in a in a a time and space now where Inflation is, I think, going to be with us for for far longer than we would like, partly because it's sticky on the way down, partly because supply-side driven inflation is likely going to reappear if we get a colder winter. And then you do, like for Canada, you do have demand-driven price inflation too, right, With with the new immigrants coming in and people just spending more because of the base number of people in the country. UK has a bit of an opposite to that. We don't really have that same level of immigration coming in. We've, since the Brexit vote, there's been, industry has moved a little, hiring has changed, access to human capital has changed in terms of employment. So it's a bit of a different situation here. Uh, But I don't think for a second that any person saw that inflation print and said, yeah, I feel, feel, you know, 2% better off today because of it. Since I've been in in London, so I arrived September 5th, 2022. My coffee has went up, I think, 60% like the price of the coffee that I, I buy at the Pret down the road.
0: Um, That's mad. That's a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, I, la- yeah, yeah, so I, I left, and I paid 99 pence of coffee. And then I was paying 150 there. And now it just went up to 170 uh, just recently. Our energy bills aren't coming down. You're seeing in France that they you know, just pushed through a 10% increase, or I think it's 10 or 12% increase in energy costs. Even the the energy producers here are coming out saying, yeah, just because commodity prices have come down, don't expect your energy costs to come down. So you, you're, you're starting to get that tension again of those who make those decisions capturing net income margin, and then those paying them being very, very frustrated that they're paying them. So... It's not the most joyful situation here. I don't see how that changes anytime soon. And then we, of course, had the there was incentive to buy uh, property during COVID. Uh, there was a break given if you were to buy property. Uh, and the standard here is like a two-year fixed. You can go out to a five-year fixed, but you know it's between a two- and a five-year fixed or flowing, the two-year term in terms of mortgages. And those are all resetting right? All those two-year monies are going to reset in in the very foreseeable future. And what does that impact look like? Well, we ran some numbers on it based on the country average. So the English average of mortgage payments, assuming 20% down uh, and purchased two years ago. Uh, And what's the impact on the consumer, like the mortgage holder, uh, refinancing? It's around 2.2x, 2.3x, the monthly uh, cost of the mortgage is what it's going to be if they were to refinance at current rates. That then, London is very much a renter's city, will then get passed down to to the the renters. Those costs, of course, are much more significant. Uh, And similar to Canada, London is a bit of a bubble, not in terms of house prices, but seems to be less exposed to deterioration and say house prices because of interest rates. There's other parts of the country that are, of course, far more exposed, and that goes as true for England as it does for, for Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. And so we are in a bit of a weird little bubble here where people will be freaking out if house prices go down 5%, but then you'll just see a bit of a floor there because that supply will get like scooped up pretty quickly and people will be comfortable taking on the mortgage for two years, being like, well, I just managed to save 5% on this house price. I'm now able to potentially enter the market. Okay, does that negate two years' worth of interest, increase in interest? Sure, maybe, but now I'm long the market uh, and I'm long housing. So London's a bit different that way. Uh, I do think that there's broader concerns uh, outside of London, uh, particularly inflation, cost of living, housing, that will be far more impactful to the country than... You know the wee square mile and and the general inner circle of the M25.
0: Okay, so you mentioned a couple of things. One, mortgage costs rising. So and and Mm -hmm. the interest costs there. So that 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 doesn't get included in most CPIs. It gets included in Canada, but it's still impactful from from a, a price perspective, and and that will be reflected in rent over time. And I think that that's the case. Probably most everywhere. Like, as from my perspective, as, as, as rates are higher and the carry cost of a property goes up, then rents follow suit. I think that that's a, a pretty direct line for me. Uh, and, and in Canada, clearly, and, and everywhere else as well. Uh, but you also mentioned energy prices and, and something I mean, I've been worried about this probably since last year when Europe had a really mild winter, luckily. And so that meant that. Natural gas usage was not all that high, despite relatively low supplies, and and uh, the, the 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 region was given somewhat of a respite on on energy prices. Uh, but uh, I mean, I'm as 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 much as global warming is an issue, uh, I'm still concerned that you you can get a cold winter. It doesn't. I mean, who who knows what what will come? But if 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 it does. Pan out that way, uh, energy could become a, a get squeezed again and get pushed a lot higher, and, and you get another another cycle of energy driven inflation. And that's a, I think a real risk to just keep in mind. Uh, and, and, and and that that that's just one side of this this potential inflation problem.
1: Yeah, but like if you think about it, right? Like when I left for Hong Kong in 2019, and when I re-entered the UK, let's take the winter. Before I went to Hong Kong, and then the winter that I came back, and I would say I, I would agree that it was, it was certainly it didn't feel nearly as cold uh, as some of the winters that I've had here. My energy bill, gas and electricity, uh, went up from 2019. Similar, you know, properties and all that kind of stuff. 2019, I would say that it went up 150%, maybe 200%.
0: That's, that's, that's chunky. I mean, mine, even, even in Canada and and we have vast amounts of energy, pretty sure my natural gas bills up, uh, almost up, I think 80% or so from where it was a few years ago. If not, if not a hundred percent, I can't, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it, they, they true it up at the end of the year, but it, it is in that ballpark. And so that even with our, our abundance of, of resources here, uh, it is, it is notably more expensive. The difference would be that I, I, ours probably isn't, go- Canada's probably isn't going up any further and, and there is a lot of upside. Uh, I think to to, to Europe, yes, unfortunately, sir. and that's nice that's sir. the risk. And then so that with that risk hanging out there, uh, unless you get a real meaningful downturn in activity in 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 Europe itself, or the and or the UK, uh, rates are are not like that. They have to stay pretty vigilant on inflation, and and there's not going to be much appetite to, to pull rates down. And I mean that's you can bring that over to back to North America and bring it back to Canada and be like, okay, well. That's nice that that I'm saying that Bank of Canada is going to be on hold in September with with core inflation slowing, but rate cuts are still a really long way off. And and there's a world in which maybe the downturn or maybe maybe the economy, it doesn't get a downturn or if it comes, uh, it's only mild and and inflation only backs off to maybe it gets to 2% at the low of the cycle. But I mean, at that point, is is that enough for the Bank of Canada to, to be materially cutting rates? And no, and not follow through with with exactly follow through with what's in the market. I mean that I, I, it it there's a reasonable possibility out there where where rates just stay a little bit higher for a little bit longer. Um, I think the the base case is is that they cut down to something a little bit more neutral, which which I can very much believe that that kind of and even in in the, in the Goldilocks scenario where things go pretty well, inflation comes down nicely, uh, even if it it doesn't get all the way to two percent and and stay there for a long period of time, they could still cut. To four percent or three and a half or something that is still net tight, but not as tight. And I make the same argument for the Fed. At the end of the day, like I think that that looks like a pretty reasonable outcome at the moment. But it's not. I mean, the market has that to some extent, but there's still pretty aggressive cuts in price in the U.S. relative to what we have in Canada. So uh, there, there's still opportunities there in the market. I think uh, at, at least at least for now. On that same note, well, I mean, wh- what are your thoughts on potential cuts, timing for cuts next year? Because I mean, if 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 we are close to done for the the Bank of Canada or done for the Bank of Canada and close to done for the Fed, uh, th- I mean, that's the next logical question. When we when we go into the winter months, like once summer's over, once people come back in, in September after Labor Day, it's possible that will be the question that everyone starts asking and the theme for the fourth quarter. Or do you think I'm totally wrong? Which I can for sure believe and more hikes might actually be coming and that's what the risk real risk is not 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 cuts 24
1: yeah that that's gonna be my answer is it i think you're making a big leap from here to cuts i don't think that it's that simple i don't think a, another huge round of hikes are on the table but i think we're far more likely to see rates up here with as you said earlier when we were chatting, having that window of, of flexibility to do more if needed. The the central banks are in this really strange situation, and we, we talked on this last time, is that if you think about the, the last 10 years, pre-10 years ago, most of the general public wouldn't be able to tell you who the, the governor is of the Bank of England, or, unless it was Carney, because that made some huge headlines because of what he was getting paid on a non-tax basis and all that kind of stuff. But like, Let's go back and say in 2005, could many people say who the Bank of Canada governor was if they were at, uh, in Canada or the Bank of England governor or the, the head of the Fed? Probably not. A couple would, but probably not. And in the last couple of years.
0: Only the Fed because of Greenspan. But,
1: right? But like, and that would be, that's a push. But you think about it now how many of these central bankers are somewhat known entities, what they do might not be well understood, but they have a name and the general public know that name. And when the general public know that name and they have been essentially tasked with this fight inflation dragon, you know, with sword and shield type persona, and inflation isn't really coming down and people aren't really feeling any better off and cost of living is still excessively expensive or or high. And then that central banker starts to slow down rates, or slow down the narrative around you know monetary policy as an effective tool for inflation fighting. The general public know more about the central banks than they have in the past, and they are now much more public figures than they have been in the past. And if the general public think that the central banks are cutting rates because they, they spin it as, oh, you know, you're just helping the banks, like you're helping the, the big guys, the companies, while the little guys you know and the people are getting hurt it's a very different situation now and i think because of that the central banks globally have to be far more sensitive around their forward guidance around their language and around making any snap change decisions around monetary policy with a potentially cool winter—we don't know. As you say, we we can't possibly know. I'll crack out the farmer's almanac and have a look. But you know, I don't know if there's anything pressure in that that I'm going to be able to to gain. But let's assume it is a cold winter. Let's assume that those stockpiles of energy gets taken uh, taken clean pretty quickly. Energy goes up for the most part of this inflationary cycle. Supply side impacts or supply side forces have accounted for about fifty percent of it. You know, with demand-driven forces around forty percent, and the remaining coming from some central uh, from monetary policy and prior monetary policy decisions made earlier. That's a huge amount coming from supply, and if it is remains a supply-side story, and you don't, you know, necessarily get that easing up, there is no reason, or at least no obvious reason for me, that inflation just suddenly turns around and stops. Like I just, I don't see that how that happens. And in that scenario where you're a known public figure with who's been tasked to manage the inflation dragon or, or slay it or kill it or do something with it, you are concerned that you haven't done enough because inflation remains, and monetary policy tools, we don't have a lot of choice when it comes to that which tools do we actually put in place to fight inflation beyond printing money. <laughs> now, like or stopping the printing presses if we're going like we're trying to fight it on the other side there's really not a whole lot they can do. And so if there's not a whole lot you can do, and it remains a supply side story for 50% of the inflation that it currently is in system, I think this gets dragged out longer. I think that the idea of cuts, even in 2024, seem nuts to me. Like I don't see, unless we have a material hard landing, unless we have a significant recession and material job cuts, I don't see why the central banks would be forced to respond using monetary policy as a traditional tool, i.e. cutting rates. I, I don't see that. I don't see why they would need to do that. Now, of course, things can change. I just think that jumping from simmering down the narrative today to cuts tomorrow is missing a whole lot of risk. And There's an old saying here, is like, many a slip twixt the cup in the lip. You don't know what's going to happen, but if all of us are starting to project the idea that cuts, recession, hard landings are the more likely path, then the skew is to anything but that. And so the the response to anything but that will be far more significant and aggressive. Uh, and so I think that for now, I would be still in the camp of, yeah, I think rates are high for a long, long time and, and 2024 might not be enough.
0: So, so either way, in that case, you can make the argument that that uh, the curve is probably too inverted, yes. Because you probably you need either. You, you, I mean, you, you're not getting cuts, but you need more term premium. Correct. And and so the, the that would bearish the the bear steepener, the dreaded bear steepener. That is that is uh, not 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 an easy easy call to make. But
1: it's just so uh, expensive. Like being th- in steepening is just so punitive. And I, okay, let me rephrase that. Being in steepening is extremely punitive if you rely on Fed effective. to to raise your liabilities. If you don't rely on Fed effective or funding costs like that to raise your liabilities, does carry and repo really matter to you? Probably not. Probably not, right? So if you're there where you have perpetual liability, um, you're not exposed to your liability being driven by the market or by the underlying base rate, then yeah, I think that you should be looking at, at steepening trades just because the carry component, which is so punitive, isn't so punitive for you. And it makes more sense to me to be in those types of steepening, be it bull or bear, just being in steepening makes a bit more sense to me than not. But we're seeing how crowded these positions get. You, we see it all the time. But like, look at Canada right now. How many questions have, have you had You know, when Canada underperforms the US rather than outperforms? I, I get more questions when Canada's underperforming than when it's outperforming, almost all the time. Which tells me people are net long, right? That's fair, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> yep. if you're at, if you don't call me when it's going your way, and you call me when it's not, I can I can guess pretty quickly which direction it is. And we've had this conversation. Where does Canada US tens go? Trend like trend channel says probably twenty basis points negative. Yep. 20. I've, I've been on
0: twenty five. I've been on twenty five for a long time.
1: You and I have said twenty five for ages. Oh. And that little blip there, where like you know, I kind of was almost second guessing myself and be like, oh maybe you know minus forty five, maybe minus fifty. Or let's, maybe we go back to minus eighty. I was like, nah, nah, definitely not. And again, we're we're seeing it today where Canada. you know, shouldn't be like underperform in the US. We just had a really strong auction that was taken down really well. Uh, I don't think it makes sense because positioning is right. If this feels kind of painful, it feels like just a bit, a bit of people on uh, caught on the wrong side. I think fundamentally the the narrative is strong for Canada, as we discussed earlier. And so I expect to see that continue. uh, And I wouldn't be shocked at minus 20, minus 25 pretty quickly. But all these trades, they all make their way through the market roughly at the same time, and they're just difficult to handle. But if you're an asset manager, or your mandate is not one month looking, or even three months looking, if you say, Okay, my my position is a one-year position, and you're less impacted by cost of funds, your liability is not necessarily driven by the market, there's few trades out there that I would be... I, look, you know, I would the only trade that I would be pretty comfortable in would be in Stephen right now, like that would be the trade I'd be in, or some expression of it if I needed to try and be cute and neutralize some of the the carry if I, if that was the the drive. But generally speaking, over the next year, I would want to be in Stephen 2s,
0: tens, tens thirties, five thirties. Where
1: I would I wouldn't be touching the like in Canada, I wouldn't be touching the long end just because it's just so difficult with such little long end supply that we've seen this year and with that that demand gets scooped up so fast like you like my i'm not sitting at my computer but i am guessing that right now tens bonds is flattening canada's underperforming the u.s but maybe even five tens is steepening or two two tens is steepening at the time right like that would make sense in terms of price action because there's a persistent bid or need for long-end assets and so i really I don't think that there's much edge in using the long bond as your as your kind of your long piece on that. Two's tens I think is fine or threes tens, fives tens, anything like that. Steepening just makes makes sense to me. And I I think you try to defend those positions as best you can with uh, whatever tools you have. But if again if we're not if we're not stuck by the liability of of the market um, in terms of how we raise our funds, I would just be putting that on and that is a structural trade that I think makes sense and we've just gone a bit too far because people and positioning and low liquidity and poor volumes and high volatility is just driving people to stop out particularly coming into the summer months no one wants to be going on their their summer vacation worrying about that position like no one does that's just not how people they want to get away from the market they don't want to be thinking about it so you do a snap kind of cleanup of the book drives the curve flatter but I think you're probably the best bet is to try and get into steepening into August because that's when I think any of the big positions will have been unwound. Any of the steepening that was was on is gone uh, into this kind of painful flattening move, and then it'll start to move steeper from maybe from August September onwards. And I'd be kind of core in that trade for a long time.
0: I can I can sympathise with that. I'm, I'm, my vacation starts on Friday. It's currently Wednesday afternoon in, in, in Toronto, but um, I, I start on Friday and I'm off for two weeks, and, and I'm, I'm hoping to unplug. So, uh, for 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 any asset manager looking to 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 kind of lighten things up a little bit going into their vacation, uh, that um, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. I'll hopefully unplug and lighten up my mental load. We'll see.
1: I'll just I'll uh, just send you messages about where the curve is and what the, whatever, <laughs> everything that's happening. Just
0: don't, you know, don't are, you you won't be the only one. <laughs>
1: Ben, what do you yes. think on housing? Ben,
0: yeah. what do you think on inflation? Well, I, that's when, that's when I click no, uh, <laughs> yeah. or 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 ignore. Uh, so it sounds like it sounds like your favorite trade idea. So you like being short Canada ten, ten in the uh, ten year space. The front ends the front ends a bit different though. Uh, yeah. I'm guessing more of a long bias in the, in the front end.
1: Yeah, it's like long bias against the US. Yeah, for sure. Like I think. Um, that because it just gets that gets so dislocated so fast right it's and and i struggle with that trade say for example the one-year one-year canada u.s i had that on back when polos did the snap in in 2015 and i remember just how painful that was and so i've always got this natural aversion to those kind of the one-year one-years but if that hadn't happened to me in 2015 i'd be looking at one-year one-year canada u.s a hundred percent because i think it's looking at a really attractive level.
0: It's just a question of whether the uh, the bank treasury paying on the back of the mortgage flow uh, slows down at all, because uh, that that helps keep the front end of Canada somewhat dislocated. And uh, it, that's a tough flow to fight. You know, the treasuries are pretty big here. So uh, right. something something at least to keep in mind when when looking at that. Uh, so steepening, Canada, mm-hmm. U.S. and tens, you want to be short. Canada, U.S. <laughs> the front, you want to be long. Uh, yeah. Anything else before we wrap up for the summer?
1: No, I think those are the, the big ones for me. And then, of course, it's just uh, we'll just deal with the, the information as it comes. But I'm, I still am firmly bullish, the Canadian economy and firmly bullish the the landscape there. And I think that being a being a Canadian, there is just a lot of upside. And I continually am shocked at the resilience of the economy and the resilience of the consumer. I think that it's just, yeah, it's, it's not... It's not a fact that I think you want to you want to really go too committed on because there, it continues to, to outperform expectations. So expressions that are Canada positive generally are pretty pretty front and center for me. And will continue to be so unless there's a dramatic change in the in the data. And obviously then I have to to have to, have to think about it. But uh, for now, I think yeah, it's just it's a strong economy that looks like it's going to continue to get stronger with a really robust talent profile and with a lot of talent coming in and you know, diverse talent, which is really what the country needs and any country needs is diverse talent. And so if we're being able to draw on that 500 to a million people at a time, then that's just all good things for Canada. Yep, there's going to be some infrastructure issues with it. So I would probably be looking at, uh, you know, how the the debt burden will be on the the provinces and the cities and how we're going to fund schools, hospitals, all that kind of stuff. But but
0: generally speaking, the broader context, I think Canada's in a really good place. We should get you on a billboard. To advertise for Canada. That's it. Well, it's or, or maybe we'll put you on a podcast. That's Always it, see?
1: <laughs> That's all I do. I'm just out here just spreading the good message about it.
0: Spread the pro Canada gospel. That's all right, it. Dave. Um, Thank you for uh, for coming on the show here and uh, Thank you for having me. I hope to, um, I'll try to have you on again this year if hopefully timing timing works out and uh, to all the listeners out there have a have a great rest of the summer and uh, we'll be back uh, either either late August or early September. it's just ahead of the uh, the next Bank of Canada policy meeting. Have a good summer. Thanks for listening to views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.